Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. Well, a turbulent season off the pitch for Bayern Munich wasn't enough to stop them winning an 11th straight Bundesliga title. And it also wasn't enough to save the jobs of various executives. For Borussia Dortmund, it's yet another season of what-ifs and one that will likely hurt more than the others combined. And as is so often the case, their top talent looks likely to be picked off. So what next for both Borussia and Bayern? I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. He's crossed, but he's there! And they have a second goal! Dortmund here, they're 2-0 down to Mainz. Bayern try again. Gnabry, Musiala! Have we just witnessed the big moment? Heartbreak. Heartbreak at the death for Dortmund. When you enter the game that you have to win, Dortmund find a way not to. Bayern are the champions for the 11th year in a row. And we're joined for this one by the Athletics German football correspondent Ralph Honigstein and Seb Stafford-Bloor, who's in Dortmund, where you were just telling me before we started recording there have been title celebrations, but this is painful. Yeah, so I arrived in Dortmund on Tuesday night, Mark, and uh, shortly after, probably about an hour after Galatasaray had won their title. And for much of the night, all I could hear, I'm in a hotel alongside a main road, all I could hear was uh, car horns and celebrations. And if you're a Dortmund fan trying to go to sleep on a work night or on a school night, that's probably the final straw, really, isn't it? That's just, I, I don't think anything, I don't think football can get more miserable than that. Because it was the Turkish community and Galatasaray fans celebrating their title. Yes, indeed. And I, um, my, my father-in-law is actually a Galatasaray fan. So I've got videos from back in Hamburg where also that's been a pretty miserable couple of days too um, because they missed out on promotion very, very, um, very, very narrowly. Uh, so yeah, tough old time in, in Dortmund and Hamburg. Maybe it's me, Mark. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe you're just Maybe cursing, wherever I go, I bring football misery. Yeah. Were they... Um, and, and were the celebrating Galatasaray fans sort of picking over prone, distraught Borussia Dortmund fans weeping on the pavement? What's the mood been like in Dortmund? Well, when, when I arrived, I thought there'd be somewhere where we could all go for a big old cry and a hug. But I haven't found that place yet if it exists. 
life goes on as normal. There are BVB flags fluttering in the sky and uh, Dortmund fans going to work and the community hasn't collapsed. That's how I put it. We'll come back to Dortmund in a little while, but let's focus on Bayern here, Raph, first of all. And um, the the line on the in the Athletic, which is very good, is only Bayern Munich could steal their own thunder after winning a dramatic last minute of the last day championship. Moving the story on from the on-the-pitch heroics to a bloody boardroom coup in an instant. That sums it up nicely, doesn't it? It took less than a minute for them to... Uh... <laughs> Go from, hey, we're champions, to, oh, actually, uh, let's deal with um, getting rid of some people. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's what Bayern do. It's not really surprising. The, the Oliver Kahn story has been bubbling around, not just for a couple of months, but really for the best part of two years. We've been hearing throughout this time that uh, people inside the club are not happy with his leadership, that, more importantly, Oli Hoeneß, who is the honorary president and still very much the most powerful man, wasn't happy with how things were going. And I think things came to a head because of the poor season and it was seen as a good opportunity from Hernes's point of view to right some wrongs or if you want to be more cynical, to grab the power back that they reluctantly had let go. One of the reasons why Oliver Kahn, I think, didn't survive this season was because you can talk about the way he leads the club and all these marketing people he brought in as much as you want. But I think one of the bigger problems was that he didn't include Hoeneß in the decision-making process. And the same is true of Hassan Salihamidzic to a certain extent. I think that understandable instinct to emancipate yourselves from your predecessors played out in the eyes and ears of Hoeneß and some others as in oh these guys they think they know everything better and they just you know they they treat us as if we don't there we'll show them who's boss and uh, it, it's very political because Hasan Salihamidzic was always backed by Hoeneß but I think he's become almost a pawn that needed to be sacrificed to make those bigger changes because Christian Dresen the new CEO didn't really get along with Hassan Salihamidzic so much when he was a finance director. Karanz Rummenigge, who's coming back, who was the former chief executive, is coming back in a supervisory board role. He was never a big fan of Hassan Salihamidzic. So in order to get everyone's buy-in for those massive changes, Hoeneß, that's my reading, had to give up Hassan Salihamidzic, who I don't think has actually done that much wrong, but that's up for the bait. Anyway, uh, we're looking at a very interesting few months and a very interesting future where Bayern have gone back (laughs) to the future, back to the past to hope that the old guys can still ride the ship. I mean, I I don't understand the the full structure here or in, in, in a sense what the honorary president title allows someone to do. But if you are Khan or... Uh, Hassan Salihamidzic, then you aren't you not thinking? Well, we are in these roles to do our jobs. Why do we have to refer everything back to someone? So the structure is um, because Bayern Munich, the football side, are run as a PLC. There's a board, and then above them is a supervisory board, and the supervisory board 
actually doesn't or it's not supposed to intervene into the running of the club but of course they're involved because they appoint and dismiss the people on the board and they also have to green light transfers over 25 million euros which for Bayern is basically every transfer so Hoeneß through his position in the supervisory board has been able to control those other people and these are people from from Audi, from Allianz, from uh, one of the banks that Bayern work with, into basically following his advice when it comes to appointing and now dismissing the people who actually run the club on the board a level below. But what's also interesting is because of that control on the transfers, him and Rummenigge would have a much bigger role now because before that Rummenigge wasn't there, Hoeneß wasn't really so much involved but I think now we'll see a lot more hands-on approach. And whenever Bayern are doing transfer-wise, these guys will feel that they need to uh, not just green light it, but actually it has to be a player that fits with their view of what's right for Bayern. From the outside, Seb, I suppose you could also say, well, maybe it's not, I mean, not, not necessarily one minute after winning the title, but maybe it is not a bad time for a reset. Thomas Tuchel coming in midway, through the season, them scraping over the line here. Maybe maybe now is the right time to reset. Yeah, I think it would have made more sense. And this is me with my conspiracy theory hat on. But it felt like a little bit of an attempt to seize the news cycle. Because these decisions were made before the weekend. And when it very much looked like Dortmund were going to win the title. And it seemed to me that making these decisions public during the final day, during the final match day kind of diverted the news cycle would have away from Dortmund's title. But you're right, I think um, coaching change, I think they're still in a kind of era limbo post Robert Lewandowski. Clearly something has to change at the top of the pitch. The Sadio Mane transfer hasn't really worked out to this point. It's caused some political difficulties, some inter-squad difficulties. Obviously the Leroy Sané incident is still fresh in everybody's mind. So hitting the reset button now, when you've also had a disappointing Champions League campaign, it feels like it's the most palatable time to do it. And yeah, it makes a sense. Also, I feel like one of the major differences between someone like Julian Nagelsmann and Thomas Tuchel is Tuchel comes with a lot more gravitas. And so if you're going to build a structure around him, I think it feels a lot less risky than it would do if you're trying to develop something around somebody who hasn't who doesn't possess the kind of the tonnage of major European titles yet. Uh, so yeah, as a sell, I think it's certainly easier, Chappers. Would you agree, Raf? Yeah, I think the idea was to initially do it on Tuesday after, after the season was finished, but they felt that the pressure on that meeting would actually take away from the final day of the season in a weird way, and they had to sort things out before. Then they realized, okay, we sort things out before, but it's going to leak. So we have to release this as quickly as possible after the final whistle, which backfired because I don't think they realized that Bayern had a, still a chance of winning. And I don't think it was meant to happen this way. But it did because of the difficult nature of this divorce with, with Oliver Kahn, who didn't accept his dismissal who started shouting, who got very, very angry, who's still sniping from the sidelines via Twitter. Although in recent days, he's been more conciliatory in tone, saying we will all sit together and sort this out. 
But uh, because they couldn't have this united front behind the scenes, they again thought, okay, we have to release this as quickly as possible because it's going to leak and we're going to look silly again. So they told Tuchel on Friday. They didn't tell the players. The players were not happy. They would have preferred this to happen after the season. But at the same time, as we saw with Nagelsmann, there probably isn't the ideal timing for something like that. If you if you want to do it, you're always going to look pretty ruthless and brutal. But just to pick up on something that Seb said, I think once again, Tuchel is very important here because if it hadn't been for him, I don't think Julian Nagelsmann would have been fired. It's only because of his availability that Bayern felt, okay, we have somebody better that we believe in more in the mid and long term than Nagelsmann. We can finish the season with him, but we don't believe he's the right manager, whatever happens. With Tuchel, we have that belief. So let's go for him now before we lose him and then find ourselves being criticized for not changing Nagelsmann when everyone could see the writing was on the wall with a bad season happening. But he's also instrumental now in the future because I think if it wasn't for Tuchel, they also wouldn't have been so ready to dismiss Salihamidzic now ahead of a really important transfer window. But because there's enough trust in Tuchel to have his input and to have some suggestions of who he wants and who he doesn't want, Bayern have decided, at least in the short term, to basically go against type and give the manager a lot more power than they usually have. Bayern tend to run the club in a very realistic, cold-nosed way, cold-hearted way, if you will, saying, managers around for two years, players stick around for four. It'd be crazy to let a manager decide who he wants and he doesn't. Because by the time the guy comes in, you see it now with Konrad Leimer from Leipzig, another Nagelsmann signing is coming in, but uh, Nagelsmann's already gone. But now because Salihamidzic is not there and they haven't got anyone in place, they said, you know what, at least for this summer, we'll let Tuchel do it. We believe enough in him that he's not going to suggest one or two duds. And we think that is, as a one-off at least, a risk that we can and must take in this moment. Which is ironic, Rafa, because every other club in Europe is, is well, not every other club, but the majority of clubs in Europe are trying to go the other way with sporting directors and head of recruitments. And, you know, Chelsea have got 10 of them. Yeah, it is It is hugely ironic. And it's not a situation that that I think Bayern find themselves in with, with too much pride. It doesn't smack of a well-run club, but they're determined to make the most of it. And I think Tuchel quietly, although he's been making been really smart in everything he's said and done, thinks this is actually a really good opportunity. I, I probably never thought I found myself in a position where I have real influence beyond the, the one or two token players that you always get as a coach. Even at Bayern, there's always been one or two players that you say, you know what, you like this guy, fine, we'll, we'll take him. Uh, this goes back to the, uh, by the way, <laughs> uh, decades when there was a famous well, I don't know how famous it was, but there was there was a golf game with um, Beckenbauer and Opma Hitzfeld was the coach at the time. Beckenbauer was the president, and I think one or two other people. And Beckenbauer said to uh, said to Opma, Opma, do you like Effenberg? Do you like him? Hitzfeld <laughs> like, yes, yeah, Uli, give Effenberg a call <laughs> on the golf <laughs> on the golf pitch. <laughs> so there was always an element of, uh, yeah, at least uh, taking managers' views into account. But I think it's a more strategic pivot, at least in the short term this year. This year, that was the pre-analytic 
pre-analytic days, Raph. I think when, so, when, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Seb? <laughs> it also feels, Mark, like the higher up the game you go as a coach, the less influence you have over squad building, with maybe the exception of someone like Pep Guardiola. It doesn't seem as it seems as if the trade-off to getting a job at a club of Bayern Munich size is that you don't really have control of the destiny or the kind of the um, the dynamics around you. So what a quirk of fate for someone like Thomas Tuchel, because he certainly didn't have this authority at Paris Saint-Germain. Um, from what we know of his time at Chelsea, particularly how it ended, of course, uh, he didn't have that authority there. So he finds himself like inadvertently in a place where he can be a kind of principal architect in a way that. I can't remember the last Bayern Munich manager um, who had the same opportunity and you can't imagine the same opportunity happening again anytime soon just because um, at that level of investment, you don't want to be employing the old Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger, I want this guy, Harry Redknapp, let's go meet this guy in a, you know, in a motorway service station somewhere and see what he's like. That doesn't exist anymore. And I'm not saying that that's what's happening in Bavaria right now, obviously. <laughs> but it's a it's an interesting dynamic. And it's a kind of, it's an opportunity perhaps to look at a a different part of Tuchel's skill set, which otherwise we wouldn't have had. Oh. I'd 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 love I'd love to imagine Thomas Tuchel in the in a in a welcome break equivalent in Germany, yeah. getting his Leon and just waiting <laughs> just just waiting for a player to arrive. Um, right, we will uh, we will talk Borussia Dortmund and some of the transfer targets next on the pod. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's talk Dortmund. Then I absolutely guarantee that if this was in England, this title race, the words choke and bottle would have been used by every other pundit across the media, rightly or wrongly. Has it been used in Germany, Seb? <laughs> well, yes. I mean, the discourse is slightly different, but the terminology isn't hugely different. I think it's very hard to argue against it. Now, Mark, I, I, I really despise the sort of the bottle-it culture. So do I. So do I. Yeah, we're, we're just moving towards a world in which um, everything can be kind of uh, divided into did you bottle it or did we in the future? Because that's mm-hmm. the sort of the the binary nature of analysis. I think with Dortmund on the weekend, it's really hard to argue that that wasn't an emotional collapse. And whilst we use these terms to pelt, and actually they're social media terms, they're there to provoke, they're there so that someone can cap up a video and people can get angry about it on Twitter. That's the purpose of it. But um, I don't think you can argue that it wasn't an emotional failure. And I, I feel for Dortmund also because heading into this, showdown but final weekend I think the knock on Dortmund all the way through the post-Klopp era has been when it matters when you when you when you enter the game that you have to win Dortmund find a way not to and whether that's against Bayern Munich and comes with a caveat of facing a much stronger side with a broader array of abilities and talent and opposition fine but this was at home in front of a stadium which actually this season has been very very positive Signodina Park hasn't had the kind of any negativity or any of the sort of the leaky anxiety that you might associate with, I don't know, what's a good example? White Hart Lane. I'm a Tottenham fan. I'm allowed to do that. It's okay. Um, and so there weren't excuses. And I think everything about the atmosphere that day, the occasion, it suggested not a cakewalk, but this is going to happen. Everyone believes in it. Uh, you can talk about the absence of Jude Bellingham. I think that's a huge problem for Dortmund. I think he's he's become so influential, and without him, their midfield becomes a little bit two dimensional, in my opinion. Um, and that probably showed in their inability to create chances. But there was a basic lack of composure. The decisions were just the for the the, the second Mainz goal is a a really good case in point that just can't happen at that level of the game. You can't have a free header six yards out and it can't be that someone like Emery Shan, who has had such an excellent season um, in the pivot role at Dortmund, he's been fantastic for most of it, especially since the end of, um, especially since after the World Cup, he's kind of culpable and all of these things betray just, yeah, emotional collapse, sadly. You, you can't characterize it any other way, Mark. No, but what I, what I find interesting, and this is to, to move away from that, the horrible bottle it choking it thing. I find I find this comment um interesting from from Alex on an article on the Athletic, where he says it seems like German teams are so accustomed to Bayern winning that they don't know how to handle the situation once they have the upper hand. 
Is that fair? If I mean, look, who? This is probably an impossible question to answer. But if Borussia Dortmund had been going head to head with Union Berlin on the final day for the title, would it have felt different? I think it's a really smart comment. I find it it's, it's probably quite a difficult thing to quantify, just because who else has been in this position really in this era of Bayern dominance? Not the previous one. Not the kind of the interhacking a uh, couple of minutes in Hamburg. Uh, the turn of the millennium that's a sort of different situation I don't know I, I also think what you have to factor in is how strong have some of these Dortmund teams actually been over the last 10 years like what have their deficiencies been I mean this was the first season in my opinion where I looked at Dortmund and thought they've solved some of their defensive issues I believe in their midfield again and yet you always have a little bit of asterisk because they've lost over the past couple of seasons they've lost Jaden Sancho who despite struggles at Manchester United, was hugely influential. They've lost Erling Holland, which is um, an absence no team in the world could really be able to move on from um, immediately. Uh, the centre forward who they did sign to replace him um, suffered a, a round of chemotherapy at the beginning of the season and recovered, and a wonderful story. And, you know, sadly, it didn't end as it should. But the point being is that um, it's very easy to be taken in by the kind of the the psychological hold that Bayern Munich can have and and teams like that do but I think the bigger issue is just the talent gap the revenue gap the and even when you get in the position I I think it takes so much and so much consistency for a side like Borussia Dortmund to to survive a season and to be in a position to win a title that when it comes to actually getting over the line if you have any any little fragilities it kind of ends up looking like that if you don't really have ultimate conviction. I think that's about them rather than it is you know, Bayern Munich or about the situation more, more specifically. Yeah, it's interesting because I think the, the discourse has been relatively benign towards Dortmund since, since what's happened. And I think the reason for that is, there's a few reasons for that. I think, first of all, this wasn't a campaign where Dortmund had been leading for a long time and then they find at the last game they muck it up. This has been a game this sorry, this has been a campaign where they were miles off, came back, then were gone again, then bind the open open the door again to them. But it didn't feel as if it was their title until that very last week. So I think people can be more forgiving because of that. Unlike the cases with Leverkusen, for example, where they really threw it away on <laughs> the last game of the season. The other reason is I think that Dortmund themselves now a couple of days later have realized this doesn't really have anything to do with Bayern. This doesn't even perhaps have anything to do with Mainz in the last game of the season. Yes, we did we did freeze. We did lose our heads. They admit that. But actually, looking at the whole season, we had a really, really poor first half of the season. And if you are as poor as we were in the first half of the season, and there were extenuating some circumstances, especially with Sebastian Allaire not being there, you cannot expect to win the title. To would have won, If they won a title of 73 points, it would have been a miracle. As it was, they got 71. And you just cannot expect the, to win the league at 70, with 71 points. Uh, they picked up 25 points from the first 15 games. They only scored 25 goals in that. And looking back, they realized in the analysis that this is this is what cost them not the title, but a more a much better chance of winning it because Bayern were historically poor and Dortmund were just averagely good. I think it was their fourth best season in the last 10 years, which is good, but it's not amazing. And 
ultimately that that was the problem and and Seb is totally right in the past Dortmund have been criticized very harshly for losing against Bayern in big crunch games and there's been a lot of talk about mentality and the lack of courage and all that kind of stuff but it really always neglected the fact that Bayern are miles ahead in terms of individual and collective talent the big point where Dortmund are blaming themselves is they should still do a lot better vis-a-vis the other 16 teams. You can go to Bayern and lose there. You can only draw with Bayern at home, but that still leaves you 32 games with which you at least get should get into the mid-70s. They didn't, and that's why they failed to seize a historic chance. And it's interesting, just a final thought on that, they were very optimistic going into the game that Bayern's weakness will will allow them to be competitive in the next few years. And I think that, in a strange way, still seems to be the case. They feel that Bayern are not quite as invincible, that if they can get their own house in order, they will have a much more regular shot at actually challenging Bayern. But I don't think in the short term. I think there's a huge expectations in Dortmund because they know how Tuchel works. That with a full preseason and one or two players coming in, Bayern next season are going to be very, very difficult to beat. But they hope it's only going to be the exception rather than the rule it was for the last 10 years. Yeah, because there is, I mean, you go on you go on transfer rumours alone, Seb, and you, you basically see, here we go again, a summer where Dortmund get weaker or lose their biggest name or one of their biggest names. And Bayern only get get stronger. And you mentioned that Dortmund's issues without Jude Bellingham. Well, it kind of looks like they're going to have to get used to it, doesn't it? Certainly does, Mark. And I think more worryingly, I think obviously with a player of Bellingham's talent, I think you, you always have to have a succession plan in place. But what's really troubling is that it's not obvious where you go to fill the gap. Uh, it might be one of the situations where Dortmund have to kind of replace Bellingham by committee. I always think of... Um, always think of sort of the the post Ilkay Gundogan world at Dortmund and and how much um, first obviously sort of his back issues and injury problems hurt them and then his eventual departure and they never really replaced him um, and fundamentally it's because it's really difficult to replace very complete midfielders and Bellingham is you know a lot younger than Gundogan was then but um, would be similarly difficult to replace and it it feels like it would have to be a not just a step back in terms of and this is the mistake we always make not just a step back in terms of losing an individual player and his attributes but also his functionality within the side so obviously like we we talked about Sancho earlier and one of the dynamics lost there was kind of his interplay with the forward whether that was you know Holland or Marco Royce or someone like that and Royce is another one Royce is getting older Royce is getting older. Um, they also, they're going to have to replace Rafael Guerrero, who's leaving. Um, his contract has expired. That's another problem. Um, I still don't think the defense is quite as good as I expected it to be. Uh, I At the beginning of the season, I thought Schlotterbeck and Sule would be, a, you know, alongside Max Hummels there, would be a, um, a massive upgrade. And it has been to an extent, but in a, quite an unconvincing way. Schlotterbeck has had a very strange season in, like, yeah, in a very sort of up and down, rocks and diamonds sort of way. So there's a lot to do there. At the same time, I think Raf has mentioned this already, but you can see Bayern operating from a position of strength this summer. Someone like Victor Osserman is probably out of their price range. I can't see Bayern spending more than 100 million euros on a single player. Um, 
But if they were to sign a Kolomowani, for instance, or if they were able to uh, convince Tottenham to part with Harry Kane, that is a very significant change at the top of the league, clearly, in any in any country. Um, but that's that's the nature of life in Dortmund's position. You, you have to be... Um, you don't get to make the off-the-peg signings. You don't get to buy off the top shelf and say, right, well, in you go, ready-made solution. Let's go and let's not miss a beat. You have to take that step back and hope that the chemistry is immediate or that the um, the sum of the parts becomes greater than what you've invested. And I'd say as fans, we we think it's pretty easy, but it history proves it's pretty difficult to get right. Well, you mentioned several players there. Let's do some quick let's do some quick far ones with, with Raf then. Who who's who's buying striker target this summer? Uh, they have a few. Um Kulumwani is somebody that uh, they think is realistic in terms of the price range, but they're not entirely convinced he's the best striker available. Um, there's Vlaovic, who some people at the Bayern board quite like. Harry Kane, it's well documented. Bayern have tried to to sign him. I think it's unrealistic. Ozyman, also unrealistic because of the price tag. Um, Understudy Hamacic, Bayern liked the English market quite a lot. So maybe they looked even at one or two other English strikers. But now that the new old regime is coming in, <laughs> I don't know if the focus will shift again more towards uh, the Spanish and Italian market. So, yeah, it's one of those. And it's still a midfielder. Do they want rice? Is that is that genuine or is that is that being circulated to try and drive, drive a market? No, no, they want rice. And the story didn't break in London. It came from, from Munich. Uh, there was a delegation, including Thomas Tuchel, maybe even meeting at a motor um, stop, <laughs> going to, to London and, and talk to rice 10 days ago. So yeah, they're, they're serious. Again, I think valuation might might scupper that. I don't see them spending 200 million on two players, but they could probably, if they sell one or two, they could probably just about do it, especially if now the supervisory board says, you know what, we need a lot of money. Uh, here's, here's the green light, um, go for it. So yeah, it's going to be very interesting, very interesting summer and perhaps more intriguing even is the who's leaving. Because Sadio Mane is a player that they would like to sell. It really hasn't worked out. But beyond that, there aren't sort of obvious candidates because these are all players, well, most of them who've won the Champions League in 2020. Uh, a lot of them are German internationals or other internationals. There aren't sort of any obvious weak players that you wanted to sell, unlike the season before where they got rid of Omar Richards and, uh, and Mark Rocker, for example. Um, you don't... Yeah, you, you'd really have to go to basically starters. And that's going to be very interesting. There's talk of Leon Goretzka maybe being up for sale. But that would be a, a big statement to get rid of a, a German international who not long ago was seen as the ideal partner of Joshua Kimmich in that double pivot. Um, but I think Tuchel might see things differently. I think he wants somebody slightly different there. And that's where the interest from for Rice comes from. And finally, this time next year, will Bayern have won their 12th Bundesliga in a row? Seb, yes or no? Yes. Raf? I think they might might have won it by April of next year. The way I think it will be going. I mean, you never know. Um, Tuchel could fall out with, with people. It's happened before. But everything leads me to believe that Bayern will be much more dominant, much better, much more consistent. They were horribly inconsistent. 
And they were a mystery to themselves how many times they started well and then then actually collapsed. There was a big discussion that Bayern had ceased to have all the kind of mental resilience and that dominance and that self-confidence that we immediately associate with this team and this club. It seemed to have all been gone this year. I think it'll come back next year. And Tuchel, both on a tactical and a sort of cohesion uh, sense for the team, will, will make them a much, much more dangerous unit. We will end it there. If you take anything away from this podcast, is to keep your eyes open at service stations just to see who is talking to each other. Thank you, Raf. Thank you, Seb. Plenty more from them on The Athletic. Uh, and there's more tomorrow. The Athletic. <laughs>